0: You're listening to Self Worst. This is a podcast about failure, day jobs, bad habits, and mental health. We talk about trauma, we talk about art, we talk about spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, and mediocrity. Each week, Artists, designers, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people. Join me, Brad Pearson. Just a real fucking run-of-the-mill white guy. With depression. In a discussion of what to do with this stupid sacred life
1: are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst do you want to confide about the darkness inside come and talk about it on self-worth
0: uh, hi hello everyone how are you it's hot uh, it took me a couple of tries to get through the intro there uh, <laughs> my brain is a little bit uh, melty right now, having a seltzer. Had to turn off the AC again for sound, so, you know, we're cooking a little bit. I'm going to be okay, though. I have an AC. I'll be okay. If you can't tell uh, by the uh, deep, sexy sound of my voice, I have a bit of a cold. And yes, it is just a Cold. I went, I got, I got a COVID test, made sure I am vaccinated, but you know, breakthrough cases, whatever. I, I was a little paranoid, did have a little bit of a, 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 a anxiety about like, oh, fuck, woke up the other day with a sore throat and was like, are you fucking serious? But I guess that's just, you know, our, our world now, our future, you have so much as a little tickle in your throat. You have so much as a runny nose. Forever. You're going to be looking over your shoulder. Is it, oh fuck, is it a breakthrough? Oh God, are we going to need a booster shot? What's going to happen next? Great. That's a fun, that's fun. Anyway, just a cold. I'm fine. How are you? You know, we never talk about you on this show. How about, I, let Tell me about your week. Out loud, wherever you are. Just start talking over my voice. See how long you can keep it up. Yeah, see, it's not easy. This is why we don't talk about you. It's not about you. All right. This week, we are talking to writer, comedian, film critic, Jordane Searles. Uh, She's brilliant and really funny. And I'm excited to finally get uh, to sit down and talk to her. Uh, She's one of my favorite Twitter follows. Definitely follow her on Twitter. Uh, She's real funny on there. Real smart. Um, I'm going to issue for this episode a content warning. Uh, We talk about some real shit. We're going to talk about some trauma, some abuse, some sexual assault stuff, some... Uh, drug addiction stuff, uh, fucked up family stuff. It's, it's a, it's a dark one. Yeah, I, I've, I, 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 have said before, I don't feel like this necessarily needs a general content warning for the whole podcast, but this episode, maybe, you know, watch out. It gets a little spicy. All right. With that said, uh, patreon.com slash self worst. Help me out listen to my bonus episodes where it's more of this it's more of just me talking myself uh thinking I'm real fucking funny if you're into that go ahead uh I sometimes have some extra interview stuff on there extended interviews uncut interviews um there's other I don't know there's 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 stuff there's dog pictures there's there's bonus shit it's a patreon dollar a month help an artist Help a guy out. Anyway, uh, is that it? I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say right now. Toe's still broken. Getting an X-ray next week. Uh, I th- I think I'm. I think it's getting better. I can mostly walk on it. It's feeling pretty okay. I'm optimistic. Don't have COVID. That's good. The vaccine seems to be working. That's good. Uh, Going on a a holiday. and take a couple days off. Go to Asbury Park. Gonna hang out with Bruce Springsteen. You know, crack open a frosty cold one with the boss. Alright. I don't know what I'm saying. Again, it is hot. I've been walking dogs all day in the sun. It's about 7 o'clock right now. I uh, just came in and sat in front of the air conditioner for a while, uh, and tried to cool off, um, maybe take a nice, like, not cold, but lukewarm shower in a minute. It's gonna be real nice. Hope you're having a good one, and, uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Jordane Searles. Alright, okay. so yeah, um, I'm excited to uh to finally talk to you. I've, I've heard you on some other stuff, uh heard you on reply guys, I've heard you on I think you were on Why You Mad, those are two of my I once, yeah. podcasts. So yeah, I just had Louisa on uh, this show um a couple of a couple of weeks ago. It was really nice to finally talk to her, so I'm excited to talk to you. Um how how have you been?
2: Uh, oh, I'm okay. I'm like I'm like hungover. <laughs> oh, yeah? I yeah, I was at a birthday party last night. know? And- at the park there have been so many I, I've been to so many drunk birthday parties at the park <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, yeah people are I, I mean it's we're emerging from the pandemic you know slowly and cautiously but surely and I think as we're doing that I think we're having a little bit of throttle control with like how hard we're going because we've all been so fucking excited to just like get out and see people and now like I've gotten yeah I've been hung over for the first time in like even like pre pandemic, I wasn't going that hard because I was like, I'm in my thirties, I'm fine. Like I don't need to, you know, like rage and like prove anything right now. You know, you know what I mean. Like, uh, and now like every time I go out, I just like go really fucking hard because I'm like, I'm fucking living now, and like just uh, and, and then I regret it. I, have a
2: I didn't I didn't drink at all during the pandemic. I was just like, you know, we're home, we're alone drinking here seems weird. I guess
0: it does seem a little <laughs> sad, but the whole thing seems sad to me, so I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm going to like we're getting a case of beer. I'm just going to like drink in my apartment with my girlfriend and you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it was I I was like whatever I honestly whatever I need right now to to fucking get me through it, you know, I'd definitely uh increase my weed intake uh a Oh bit. yeah, I,
2: did, I I did that. I did I got, the weed.
0: I got I got into um, white Russians last winter for some reason. I'm not really sure why I just they felt cozy. It was like it's like a cozy wintry drink. I don't know. But then it it, that feels like a weird thing to carry into the summer. They're they're very syrupy, you know. Yeah, I don't think that's not a summer drink.
2: I I actually for the first time ever last night drank an entire can of hard seltzer, and that is when the night took a turn. I'm mm. never touching. I'm never touching that again. It's so dis. De- it's so deceptive. Yeah. I don't trust it. Like it's like you're having. If I'm having some tequila and orange juice, I I know what I'm getting. If I'm having a beer, I know what I'm getting. Hard seltzer. I'm just like, what the fuck is this?
0: <laughs> what kind of hard seltzer did you have?
2: I don't know what the brand was, but it was like, it was like lemon flavored and it was just like, like kind of, it just kind of tasted like lemonade and it made it really easy to drink. Mm. But I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't bring any of the drinks. I showed up yeah. to the party and everybody had like these like fancy cans of like wine spritzer and like all this stuff. Those and I will just... fuck
0: you up. Now they started making these like cocktail, like canned cocktails, and like those are bad news. Oh like, yeah. You drink it at the speed of a beer because you're like, oh, it's like refreshing and it's cold and it's in a little, you know, aluminum can and I can just sort of like you know, I can just uh I can just you know, slam this. I can I can crush this. But you're drinking a cocktail, which you should like slowly sip and nurse throughout the evening.
2: I definitely had two cans of something that had both vodka and whiskey in it. It was like a cocktail that had vodka and whiskey and something else. And I drank like more than one of those very quickly. I mean, it was fine. Like I... I had a good time. Like I have a head like I have a little headache. Sure. Um but I don't know. I'm not really I don't really drink as much anymore. Uh, so it's all so I really only do it at these parties. Right. I I always get high though. I got high at the end of the night I and mean, that was a good way to like slow everything down.
0: <laughs> you got to. I mean, you know, that's that's I mean I I have never well, I don't know. I was about to say I've never regretted smoking weed and we're like, oh, I shouldn't have smoked all that, which I definitely have, but it's usually in concert with, you know, alcohol. And then you get, like, room spins and you get crossfaded. It's no good. But, like, mm-hmm. and I've definitely been in situations where I'm, like, I'm too high right now and I'm very uncomfortable and I'm having, like, a bad... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a bad time. I'm having anxiety. But mm-hmm. uh, not anything to the degree of... Uh, you know, like, oh, I made a serious mistake. And like, this is this is bad. And like, I need to apologize to people or whatever. Or I need to like, you know, uh, I I feel physically ill. I can't work today. Like, that's no good. Like, you know, it's, it's just such less of a, a lot less consequences, I think
2: yeah i'm worried if i can work today because i just i have a bunch of shit to do i mean i constantly have a bunch of shit to do because yeah. i had like some trouble with my family my family has been like having financial troubles for a really long time uh and so And then just, like, shit just, like, really hit the fan. So I had to spend, like, a couple weeks with them. And all of the work that I had to do had to go on hold. And so now it's just, like, a bunch of editors emailing me, like, oh, we understand that you're going through things, but could you write about this, like, movie that sucks could you do that real yeah. quick <laughs>
0: it's very important I understand that you're dealing with like you know the family and a financial crisis and poverty and like all this shit but you know we really do need you to review this like indie horror movie That I, it's just, I mean I wish it was
2: I wish it was an indie horror movie, honestly. It was just like, I mean, I don't know. I can't keep track of all the things that I have to review. And sometimes mm. when I'm irritated, even like reviewing something that I really like is a pain in the ass because I'm just like, oh, this fucking, ugh, this shit. And also just like lately, I haven't really been wanting to watch any of the new releases. Mm. And my new way of coping is just like, Watching dude movies from the '90s that I'm not super invested in. Mm. <laughs> like I was thinking about watching, like, uh, for the love of the game, or anything with like Kevin Costner. That's like that's like that's like dad television. That's like dad movies. That's yeah. like TNT on the weekend. You're yeah. like on the couch. Yeah, I. Those are the only movies that I have been enjoying watching right now, and I can't because I'm I have to review all this other shit. And everything that's been coming out, I would say for for like years now, for as like as long as because I started writing about film professionally in 2018. And what I've noticed is, is that like a lot of the movies that came out like in the latter half of that decade and that are like spilling over now are like super fucking serious. And people know that I'm good at writing about serious stuff. So they asked me to do it, but watching some of these no matter how good they are is just exhausting especially if it's like about actual things that I've had to deal with like being poor or like drugs or something and I'm just like I don't know it's exhausting it's weird being a film critic and like coming from a working class background because most film critics aren't and most film critics Like when they watch something like, I don't know, like something like Winter's Bone or something like that. It's like, it's not something that they relate to. It's something that it's like, wow, this room, they'll, they'll praise it, but they'll praise it in a way that's clear that like, they don't have any relation to it. Whereas like, I watch something like Winter's Bone and I'm just like, I totally get this. Yeah.
0: Well, to them, it's like an anthropological experiment or something. It's like, it's like a lens into the lives of these these poor people that they've heard exist. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What would you say are some of your uh, favorite and least favorite uh, depictions of class and poverty in film?
2: Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, what a question. Uh, well, I, I hate Beasts of the Southern Wild. Actually, most people from the South do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, precious absolutely despise it fucking movie sucks
0: why is it it edited like a saw movie
2: i I, because
0: it's just so insulting to your intelligence it's like yeah i saw the thing i saw the thing thank you i got it i get it
2: lee daniels like he makes horror movies. And the one movie that he made that I don't think is a horror movie is the butler, um, which I, which I actually, I'll, I'll stump for the butler, but the butler also has way less of a lot of his bullshit in it because he has to like it, the, the plot forces him not to be fucking lurid about everything. (laughs) Like, But yeah, Glee Daniels makes horror movies. Precious is a horror movie. The Paperboy is a horror movie, but at least that's a fun one. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'll tell people to watch The Paperboy because that... Oh, yeah. And that's also... There's also a lot of poverty in that, too. The Paperboy is great because Nicole Kidman pees on Zac Efron. Like, out of all of the wonderful... It's so... Yes. That.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'd watch that.
2: Oh, yeah. It's just like... I don't know. Like, Precious... I don't know. I just don't think that he likes black women. I feel like a lot of directors who make things about black women don't actually like black women. And when I watched Precious, I was like, oh, you hate us. You think that we are disgusting.
0: What were your thoughts on Ma? I never saw it. But uh, I, I i know it was kind of like I, a punchline for a lot of people.
2: I really don't like it. Um, just because... It it was so close to being about, it's so complicated. It's, it's close to being about something, but it's not. It's just like a story about a black woman from a small town, like full of white people who was like picked on a lot and ignored a lot. And so now she's like a middle-aged woman who is like obsessed with like white high schoolers and it's just like wants to be their friend and like wants to spend a bunch of time with them but then like she it's like she just has like this whole like complex where she acts like she's like still in high school and if they don't pay attention to her she like responds really creepy like And she also just, like, she makes her house into, she makes her basement into, like, this, like, hangout spot for teens. So, like, she just lets teens drink in her basement so that she can hang out with them. And I don't know. It would have been, like, good if it was, like, this is what happens when a Black woman, like, spends her entire life trying to be validated by white people. And, like, that's the horror of it. But that's not... But that's not really it. Like she's the bad guy, yeah. and it's just it doesn't.
0: They made her into like it was like the cable guy almost or something where you like oh like yeah very very cable and... guy. I mean I like yeah. the cable guy, but
2: yeah. I mean the cable guy is definitely a better movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like I felt like a lot of white people were like memeing it and stuff, and I just I. I don't know. But I also just, like, don't like Tate Taylor. Octavia Spencer and Tate Taylor are really good friends, but, like, he doesn't make good movies. Like, The Help is not a good movie. Mm Uh get on up is not a good movie which sucks because um James Brown is from my hometown yeah. and they had the premiere in my hometown and everybody was so excited and the movie was bad but I don't think anybody in my hometown will say that it is bad but yeah. it
0: is I mean and that's, that's <laughs> a hell of a story to tell too James Brown I mean that's a that's a life you know but I it's also I don't know music I think like biopics in general are I, I'm usually not interested. At, at this point you know that that was that was something that like i feel like peaked in maybe like i don't know the early 2000s but just like all of those like walk the line and ray and like all of the and like by the time like the dewey cox thing came out and it was just like oh yeah you're, this is like one genre that you can just like completely take apart
2: I, yeah, I mean, I think, actually, I think that biopics are going in a really interesting direction. I think the closer that they are to, like, actually trying to tell a story and the further they are about, like, trying to glorify its subject, the the better that it is. Like, I think that um, Bessie, the movie about Bessie Smith starring Queen Latifah, is, like, top tier mm. in terms of biopics. I think that that one's really good. And um I'm trying to think... I'm I'm of course like very into um, the movie Shirley, which is about um, Shirley Jackson, but it's like a fictionalized depiction of Shirley Jackson, and I think that it's like way better for that reason. But yeah, I mean, it's like Tate Tate's whole thing is that he's like a white guy, and for some reason, black people keep on giving him money to tell black stories, and he sucks at it. And Octavia Spencer sucks two because she helps him make it happen just because they because they've been friends since college i don't care if you've been friends with this white guy since college like stop bringing him around no one wants to see him uh oh, i had yeah. to take off my glasses to say that yeah yes, no i
0: get <laughs> it you had to like walter cronkite it you know like i had to. yeah he's make, just like, no he's he sad make a point
2: yeah, like, if I, the best case scenario for a director like that is, like, Craig Brewer, who also only mostly makes movies about Black people, but he seems to, like, respect us. Yeah. And you can kind of tell, like, if you watch him, um, like, Dolomite is My Name, which I love. I think that Craig Brewer did great work with that. And it, it was so good that I was like, oh, my God, a white person made this. Like, you know, <laughs> sometimes they sometimes they figure it out.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I think, a difficult line to ride, maybe, as, I don't know, not that, I don't know, I don't want to be like, oh, poor uh, white guy working in Hollywood, it's really difficult for him, but like, you know, if you are saddled with, if you are tasked with telling a story, you know, like a black story, um... Like, what what do you do? Do you do you step out of the way and let black filmmakers tell black stories, or do you just like, okay, well then I'm going to tell a story about people living in America, and this is, you know, I, I, we're just gonna we're just gonna tell this story because we don't need to.
2: I you know people are always asking like oh well why didn't this white director cast these people of color or like blah blah blah. and it's just like i understand it but i'm also just like i don't trust these people like so like a big one was like um uh, Sophia Coppola. People were mm. just like, "Oh, why does it? Why didn't Sophia Coppola have black characters in her movies?" And I'm just like, "Are we sure that Sophia Coppola knows black people?" I mean, that's different now because she actually did. Like, she made a movie with like Rashida Jones yeah. and I think Marlon Wayans pretty yeah. recently. But for years, it was just like people were asking that, and I just kept on like, "Why? Why do you want that?" Yeah, the, the <laughs> same thing
0: was said about like <laughs> Lena Dunham. There's like no black characters and girls, and I was like, "Well." It's a bunch. It's that's what it's about. It's about a bunch of privileged white girls hanging out in Brooklyn. Like, that's so I yeah.
2: love that show. And I have never once wanted a black person on that show. Like, actually, when I think season two started and they had like an episode with Donald Glover, I fucking hated it. I was so mad that he was there. He was, it was weird that he was there. He wasn't
0: good on the show. It was like, kind it of was stilted just, too, wasn't he? He was like a black Republican or something. So it's he like, he was we a had to, black Republican. He like, and make it some sort of like thing about his, like, if he his was just like name- a dude, like,
2: his name was Sandy. Like, like I just loved it. Lena was Lena was in the writers' room, just like you know what? We're just gonna piss people off right now. We well, got a black Republican really named at- Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I mean, and that and. I, that should have ended the conversation honestly like she made her point she was like I don't know I don't know black people I don't know and <laughs> that's fine you don't have to I don't come to I don't come to her for that
0: yeah um so what are some of your uh, favorite depictions then on the on the flip side of that of of poverty of like class disparity
2: poverty class disparity Huh. I wish, like, it just like popped into my brain quickly. Um, mm,
0: I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have, have like,
2: um, so I'll just I'll just wander around. Okay. I can't be organized when I talk about this. Um, they shoot horses don't they? Mm-hmm. Is maybe one of my favorite movies about class, and I wish it came up in that context more often. Cause it's have you seen it?
0: I haven't, actually. I I know vaguely what it is, but...
2: Yeah, it's just, like, a bunch of people. It's, like, um... God, I... (laughs) Sorry, you can definitely edit that out. That's okay. Um, It's... It's just, like, a bunch of people literally competing just to have some money. Like, it's, like, they're competing to exist. And, like, a big... I mean, the big, like ender of it is that like Jane Fonda is trying to finish the competition and someone dies and then that they just have to like carry that like dead body like to like, it's just like somebody, it. it somebody dies and it doesn't stop anything. That's just like, right. just the idea that like you're in a race and then someone dies and then everybody's just like, no, but we, we have to keep going. We can't right. stop. Just like the desperation. The
0: desperation, the, the, the lack of dignity. Yeah. Made. Yeah. I get that. I'm gonna have to watch yeah. that movie. Um, I, I mean, I, I like anything with Jane Fonda, but, um, yeah, uh, so I was gonna also ask you um, what are maybe some of your favorites and least favorite depictions of? I mean, this is a mental health podcast about mental health uh, in 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 film because I mean that is again a very it can either be done really well or really really poorly.
2: So, okay, um, well my favorite genre of movie is sad women Mm -hmm. so i so i actually think about this a lot and i have a little letterbox list of movies about women being sad and for different reasons i mean the hours is a big one yeah have you have you seen seen the the hours? hours yeah yeah the hours is like one of my favorites it's so good um twin peaks fire walk with me is one of my favorite depictions of someone i mean people the jokes about twin peaks and something but everybody i don't know the way that people talk about david lynch's work kind of annoys me sometimes because like um fire walk with me is one of the most intense and serious depictions of somebody dealing with trauma and substance abuse that i've ever watched and you know it's it's so it's heartbreaking it's it's beautiful it's uh wow. it's just it's just incredible like like if especially like if you had just watched the show where laura palmer is just um a symbol in the movie it's like the last the last days of her life and so you see like everything that she was dealing with right before she dies and then you see her a little bit after she dies and it's Great. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, I've seen
0: it. I, I've seen yeah. every David Lynch. I, I'm a oh, big fan. yeah. But I also understand that like a lot of discourse around David Lynch is somewhat annoying because I did I did go to film school, so like you <laughs> know like so I, I've I've had uh I, two billion uh drunk stone conversations about Twin Peaks and the Black Lodge and all of that shit. So like it, yeah, uh, it is like I like it, but it's also like a wee bit played out at this point in my head you know like just with like anytime it, it gets brought up I'm like yeah Twin Peaks I know I know I know <laughs> like yeah you know? that's why
2: I mostly I mostly talk about Firewalk with me yeah. and the and the return because those are both like darker depictions and you kind yeah. of have a be more serious when you talk about them I, only which s- I, I think
0: I only saw Firewalk with me once but it is really good and it is a much more I mean it's a lot more serious. It's the darker tone that sometimes pops up in the show, but it's like through the entire movie. And like, I agree. Like, I see what you're saying. Like the reason the story of Laura Palmer, uh, is interesting and resonates is because yeah, like Lynch uses all the weird, like dream logic and, you know, uh, uh, interesting, uh, characters and that weird kind of, uh, uh, soap opera delivery that people have and, you know, his imagery is really intense. But the reason that it really hits people in the gut and resonates and isn't just like a bunch of pretty images is because it's about something. It's about living a dual life. It's about, you know, hiding some sort of deep trauma. It's about all of this really uh, difficult stuff that's that's in people's lives, you know, inner torment and pain. That, that, you know, people, I think, relate to it or, or it resonates with people, maybe even in ways that they don't fully understand when they watch it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I have, uh, I mean, I have depression, I have anxiety. I, um, I also have complex PTSD. So whenever I watch anything that's like about PTSD, and most of it's related to like physical and like sexual trauma, Mm -hmm. And like emotional, like psychological stuff. So I'm always on the lookout for depictions of that and to see, you know, how well it does. Like, I really love um, the movie, The Tale, starring Laura Dern, which is about a woman who she's just, she's a middle-aged woman and she realizes that she was sexually abused as a child and that the relationship that she remembered, she remembered it as like, she was in charge and she was an adult and like, you know, even though it was like a grown man and she was a teenager, it was just like, she remembers it in a certain way. And then she actually looks at a picture of herself from that time and then tries to visualize what it actually looked like. And she realizes that like, that she had never actually gotten over it and that she had like adopted all these like coping mechanisms to not deal with it. And the process of dealing with it isn't even like, it's cathartic in some ways, but you can tell that like now that she has to deal with it, it's, it, it's still very messy. It doesn't like fix everything, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. They, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, the mental illness, happy hour. Uh, he often talks about how, when he, an exercise that he does is he will look at a picture of himself when he was a child and anytime he's thinking like, oh, I should have handled this better. I should have, you know, done this or that thing. He'll look at a picture and just be like, you were just a fucking kid. You couldn't have anticipated what, you know, in his case, like what his mom was doing to him, you know, like. And so reminding yourself that in like very like explicit ways can be very, really helpful because I think it is, it just, it's easy. It's like a weird, easy thing to overlook because I think as you're going through your own life, you kind of feel in this weird way, like the same person throughout the entire thing. Cause you in fact are in a way, but you're also, when you were a kid, you just had nothing, like you didn't have the fucking coping skills that you do now
2: yeah yeah that's that's really an important thing to remember i still have to remind myself of that all the time um oh one that i really loved it was actually one of the last movies i watched before lockdown last year was she dies tomorrow which Mm. i i'm obsessed with like i said that it was my favorite movie from last year like a lot of you were just like what about nomadland it's like no (laughs) like i i love chloe jow's work i don't love nomad land um but i do love she dies tomorrow which is one of the most like visceral portrayals of like depression and suicide ideation that I've ever seen. And it's funny, because whenever I show it to someone, they they feel destroyed and they feel like, why would you show me this huge depressing thing? And meanwhile, I watch it and I'm just like, I understand this main character and it's kind of comforting to watch. I, I reviewed it. The review's not very good, but I was trying to explain like how comforting it is to watch people watch someone cycle through the behaviors that I do when I'm depressed like just like scrolling through online shopping for things that you don't need listening to I don't know if you watched it have you seen it
0: I haven't um so my girlfriend uh Caitlin Hughes uh who I think you I think you know um she worked on the PR for that movie uh worked on the release for it so she was talking about it all the time but I never actually oh that's your girlfriend girlfriend yeah we're on, oh! her, we're on her Zoom channel right now because she has a, a pro account and I'm a freeloader.
2: Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> wow! Yeah! No, Caitlin, is, like, uh, like I don't like no publicists, of course, because, but because uh, I mean, we just like share information yeah, with each other. But she's always sure. she's always seemed cool, though.
0: She's pretty cool. Uh, she's all right.
2: <laughs> that's cool. But yeah, yeah, I there's there's a thing in She Dies Tomorrow that I really love, where um it's she the main character just keeps playing the same song on her record player like as soon as it's over she just keeps on walking over to a record player and playing the same song over again and then she'll like touch the wall she'll like get on the floor and she'll like touch the floor and then she'll like have a drink and she'll just like pace and I'm just like yeah (laughs) I don't it's I love it and I mean it's I mean it's a very simple premise where she goes she's like dating this guy and then the guy like has some kind of like ep- manic episode and he was just like I'm going to die tomorrow and then he kills himself and so then she's like okay well I'm going to die tomorrow And then she just goes around telling other people that she's going to die tomorrow. And then they believe that they're going to die. And it just like keeps on going into like this chain until everybody thinks they're going to die. And Hmm. it's great. (laughs) I really love that one.
0: Um, In, uh, In however many details you're comfortable with, uh, can you talk about your history with, uh, depression and PTSD and, and your sort of mental health journey, uh, that, that you've been on?
2: Uh, sure. Um, well, I mean, I was, I was abused as a child for like a really long time, probably. Uh, I, I was abused like a little bit into adulthood too. I didn't leave home until I was 20. Uh, and, uh, it was just because like my mom didn't want me to leave. And she just like did things to really like fuck with my confidence and also like, like uh, financial stuff. Like I wanted to go away to college, but she didn't want me to go away to college. So she didn't like give me any money to, um to do college application. So then I had to do, then I had to go to the college that was like closest by that had the cheapest application fee and stuff like that. Where was so Oh, I'm from Georgia. Georgia, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm from Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, where James Brown was born. Um, so she, so I, I mean, I finally, I, t- I think I took like, so I had been dealing with that, like the um, abuse from my mom, and then when I was 17, I was, I went to go visit my friend on like a college campus and uh, I was sexually assaulted there, and then, and then, like, around the, by the time I was 19, I think, yeah, a lot of it's just, like, sexual assault, but I remember 20, I left, I had to, like, I went to a women's studies class and I made friends with someone and I talked to her about what I'd been dealing with. And so she and her husband helped me move out. And then I like left my mom, like a letter explaining why I was going and why um, I didn't tell, like I just kept it to myself and then just like, so she just came home and I was just gone and she hadn't heard anything about it. Um, And she, you know, she never really got over that. Uh, So, when, um, but also while I was in college, uh, I started going to therapy because uh, it was like, I don't remember, I was, I was assaulted again, and then I, um, and then I couldn't come to class because I couldn't, I couldn't think straight. And so I told my professor that I couldn't come to class. He asked why. And I, was, and I was pretty close to him. So I was like, I got assaulted. I just don't think that I can focus. I don't really want to talk to anyone today. And so he said that he basically like insisted. He was like, of course, you don't have to go to class. But I do want you to go to counseling services. And he just like bothered me for like a week until I did it. And so that's like when I started doing counseling and I did counseling um, for, I think for the last two years of college. And then um, uh, mm, trying to remember. Okay. Yeah. And, but I also like near the end of college. I was in an abusive relationship with. Uh, well, I lived near a military base, so I dated a lot of people in the military, and I had um, when was in an abusive relationship with a sailor, hmm. and then um, and he had like mental health issues. He had never gotten over like the death of his mother, and he just used that as added an excuse to just be a piece of shit right. instead of like going to therapy. Um, and so. He like took me on this like really like traumatic trip. He wanted to go to New York. And so he made me take a week off school. I was taking extra classes over the summer, because I wanted to graduate early. But he had me take like a week off summer school so that we could go on this trip to like drive and I can't drive because I'm half blind. So he had to do all the driving. And I also told him, like, it was weird. Cause like I was, we were doing the trip and I was like, okay, I don't have any money. And you know that I can't drive because I'm half blind. So if we're going to go on this trip, it's going to be really expensive and you're going to have to drive. And I, you know, I don't have to go on this trip. Like I was very clear. I was like, I don't have to go on this trip. And I felt like something bad was going to happen and then uh, something something bad did. He just like started like freaking out on me. I remember we were like at like a, we were at like a pizza place in Jersey and he just fucking lost it. And so then I was just like in, Jer- just like stranded in Jersey trying to figure out am I gonna leave or what? But I ended up just like staying for the whole trip and he just like kept on freaking out at me. And near the end, he was like running red lights and like doing all this other like, insane shit so but i didn't tell him that i was gonna break up with him i just like i had like coping stuff that i had learned from dealing with my mom so i just kind of employed that and i just like very quietly was just like i'm going to break up with this person and so as soon as we got back i was like but i didn't i didn't even tell him when we got back i was like i need a week by myself and during that week i was trying to figure out okay how do i break up with him Right. And so finally I did. I broke up with him over the phone. and But then he insisted on coming over. And when he did, he had, like, he assaulted me. Um, so that was weird. Eventually I did talk to his dad. And his dad, like, apologized for him. It just basically, like, I'm sorry that my son is, like, shit. Oh. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate him saying that i don't know um yeah so uh like it was like i well the trip was so traumatic that like i decided that i was gonna apply to go to grad school at nyu like i thought about it before but i was like (laughs) i'm not gonna get in um but like we were on the trip we were in i think like before i got back we were philadelphia and we were in a hotel in philadelphia where you had to like pay per page for printing and i just like printed out the entire application finished it mailed it while i was up there (laughs) and um i got in and so it was like uh i mean it was kind of a big deal because like i said my family didn't want my mom didn't want me to leave and so and she was very much like in charge of like very like manipulative in terms of um like getting people to do what she wants so she didn't want me to leave so then she tried to like plant seeds and like the rest of my family is just like why is she leaving why are is she you um,
0: us? are you an only child or do you have siblings?
2: No I'm the oldest of five.
0: Oldest of five how do the rest of them work with uh you know with, with her as uh as as kind of a controlling mom
2: so um you know it's it's not like she's going to listen to this so it's right. fine. She's I, in jail. I, oh. She's she's in jail right now. Uh she it's a very recent development. She's only been in jail for I think like a month now. Wow. Um, so, yeah, well, she, I mean, part of, like, all the abuse stuff is that she has, like, a drug problem. I mean, and there's just, like, also, there's, like, a lot of, like, inherit. like, our, our family is just, like, full of trauma, and everyone is very, like, emotionally not, like, working, in her whole yeah. thing is that she... So she just, so she's just, she does drugs and she had been clean for a long time, but around the time that I decided that I was gonna go to New York, she started doing drugs again. And I kind of just feel like she started doing it because I was leaving. Uh, So yeah, so I mean, there's, there's a lot going into that, but like she's in jail. And I, so, I mean, I have a, I'm 28, my little brother is 26 my sisters are they're 14 12 and eight so Mm -hmm. like around that time like the youngest one was still just like a a baby and like so she just like told my little sisters and told my brother oh she's abandoning us (laughs) um god oh my god which is like not which is, like, not true because, like, well, number one, like, she hated me. Like, she treated me like shit. So it was just, like, I didn't understand. It's like, okay, I'm leaving. And then. You're, not,
0: you're not fucking <laughs> beholden to, you're not a, a provider for the family. You're one of the fucking kids. like
2: Well, now I am. Now, that's, I mean, a lot of what I've been dealing with lately is that I am. I have become a provider and I don't
0: like it. And I would rather not. Um, well, I mean, what I mean is like, that's yeah. not, that's not your prescribed role. No, as yeah, a no, I know exactly. Like, that's I'm, a role yeah. that you have had to take on, you know, um, out of necessity, I guess. But like, that's, you know, that's not, you know, you weren't yeah. a parent. There's the, the, the no. other kids, the, the other hungry mouths in that family were not your doing. You know,
2: yeah, I mean, and she, I don't know, yeah, and I mean, she would do things like I was like living in a house with a bunch of guys who were also in college, and she would do things like drop off the kids, and it's just like, okay, and like, there's like nothing there for them except like a pool table. Is it's just like, what, why are you dropping these children here? But yeah, so it was like all of that, but uh, I mean. Sorry, there's like a lot and they're there's gonna have to lo- yeah, do like a lot. trigger warning because there's like a lot of like sexual <laughs> yeah. assault because I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll
0: drop a trigger warning in the beginning. I I, I do sometimes I do I don't other times, but I'll put one in
2: here. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I was so I, I got into school and I had broken up with that guy and I was living and I was living in a house full of guys and um which is something that uh yeah, I, I would not recommend
0: that. Yeah. I mean, no, the, I... the pubes on the toilet seat situation to begin with is not great. Well, it wasn't that. So living I was in bro houses has been a,
2: so I was living in a bro house and everyone was gay except one of them. And the one who wasn't sexually assaulted me like right before oh, damn I left, like, and it was just, it was, it, it was a, It was a bad situation because like nobody really. I think people were upset with me because I was going to NYU and they were upset with me for other reasons and so when I was like oh this like terrible thing happened and we need to talk about it everybody was just like you're leaving anyway so like why do you care like why do you want like they were just like oh go to the police or just like don't talk about it it's like okay I'm not gonna go to the police in Georgia to start a case that's going to be a waste of my time when I'm moving to New York can't I just post about this on Facebook and move on and like and it was just like people were just like mad at me for talking about it and even though it was a guy that everyone hated all of a sudden everybody had all these excuses this guy everyone hated him and then he assaulted me and then all of a sudden where there was like whoa I don't know well I mean are you sure uh he seems okay um (laughs) so the summer, like before I went to NYU, I was just like super depressed and like drinking heavily. Why? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, so, um, so when I got to NYU, yeah, I I went back into therapy again, okay. um, just to kind of like deal with everything. Also, at some point, <laughs> I got. I got engaged. Uh, and then that engagement, Mm -hmm. that was a whole thing. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. I got put on Zoloft and that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was seeing a, I was seeing a therapist. It wasn't like a great therapist. Like the one, the counselor that I had in Augusta was like, really, really empathetic and really, really, like, I don't know, like, very, like, emotionally attached to me. My my therapist when I was at NYU really wasn't. She was mostly just like, okay, you've had to deal with all of this shit, but you're in grad school. So what you need to do is figure out how to be as functional as you can possibly be for these two years that you're in grad school. Okay. And so like all of our therapy sessions were just like stuff like I'd be like I was looking for a ha- I'll be like I was looking for a hat to wear cuz like it was like snowing and I couldn't find my hat and I had a panic attack about this and like it was very clear that the panic attack wasn't about the ha- hat it was about like everything yeah. else but but like she was like okay um well let's focus on problem solving this. So like she had me like get a basket for all my hats so that I could. So it was just like little things of just like she basically was like trying to teach me how to live with my trauma while still like being functional. And so she kind of taught me one of like my major coping mechanisms, which is just like if I'm freaking out, I need to organize Mm -hmm. something. There's something that I can put together. There's some task that i can accomplish uh which was like which is really what got me through school because i considered leaving when my engage when my engagement broke apart like i was considering leaving because i had gotten engaged to the one person from my hometown who wasn't a dick about the rape thing (laughs) like the one person like because i because i told everybody and there was just like uh I mean there were people that were fine with there were people who were supportive but he was the most supportive. He was just the person that he was just like he was there. He would take me to school, he would pick me up from school. He would show up if I was like uh like freaking out, if I was like at a bar like crying like and I texted yeah. him, he would like show up at the bar. So, you know, I mean like I I think a lot of that connection was just like built on the fact that I was really going through it and he was just there. So when, so I was very attached to the idea of being with him. And so when the engagement didn't work, I was just like, I don't know. I just kind of like, uh, right. When it's the one
0: person out. who, you know, you can lean on and then they're not there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, cause like he came to live with me in New York for a little bit, but his mental health got in the way. Because he just, it was just too overwhelming for him uh, to be there, like to go from like a small town in Georgia to like New York. So he was just like depressed yeah. a lot of the time. So it just, it just didn't work. Uh, uh, so uh, eventually, I did, uh, I, I did, I did graduate, and I did graduate on time. Not, <laughs> I was very. I was I was a wreck the whole time because I had also started doing comedy which was really really good for me but then I would also like stick around after shows and mics and drink too much just Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to go home and I didn't want to be by myself and like it was just I don't know I'm surprised that I finished and it was funny when I finished because uh the my professors are basically just like you're really talented but you're emotionally you kind of like let that kind of like swallow it up like they were essentially just like your work could have i i turned in like a play Uh, i was supposed to turn in like a full-length play and i only turned in 30 pages of it and i remember my professor was just like this is like 30 great pages but you could have written this whole play and it was, like, I mean, the, his advice and, like, most of my professors' advice was just, like, you have to you have to write through all of these emotional things. You just kind of have to keep writing because that's what you're here to do. That's what you want to do with your life, and you just have to keep on, like, writing through it. And, I mean, during that time and a couple years after that, I used to write, like, a lot of personal essays about stuff that I was dealing with. And I don't really... I don't really do that as much anymore now that I think about it. And I just haven't had time because I've had to, like, write stuff for work. So, uh, So when I graduated, I lost that therapist because it was, like, through, like, NYU insurance. So for a couple years, I didn't, like... I didn't have one, and I was really struggling for a couple years about that. And I also had to wean myself off the Zoloft because I couldn't afford it when I was done with NYU. So mm-hmm. I was un- I was unmedicated, and I did not have a therapist for, I think, like two years.
0: Two years of white knuckling it.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. And it just... It it wasn't good. Like, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I met my fiance, Kyle, like, directly after I finished school. And, like, we fell in love pretty quickly. But, like, those first two years of us, because we've been together five years now, the first two years of us together would have been so much better if I'd been in therapy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is the thing. I mean, but I hope that you can hold space for, uh, you know, I don't know, forgiving I guess, forgiving yourself or or being patient with yourself for the time that you weren't running at an optimal, you know, speed uh, when you weren't finishing the play, when you weren't being, you know, the best in a relationship, because if you're not in therapy and you're dealing with all of the shit that you're dealing with, uh, you know, of course, you're not going to like fully like, I don't know, uh, cross every T dot every I
2: yeah and it's just in my family just like there was no there was no tools and that was the other thing like i was without therapy for like two or three years um and meanwhile my mom had like started doing crack again and like and started drinking and started doing weird weird shit like weird even for her and then my brother who also felt like i had abandoned him um started doing math Jeez, and then just like between the two of them they i mean and it's been an ongoing thing like it's still a thing now where it's just like for and i try to explain this to people sometimes because like a lot of the time like i mean if you follow me on twitter you know that people are constantly like trying to argue with me about shit and like being shitty and just like what very What is that? Is it a
0: Twitter thing or is it just like, oh, it's a it's a black it woman happens with in an re- opinion? It, like is that the deal? It happens like, in real
2: life too. <laughs> I must, <don't>... Like
0: <laughs> fucking I... get a hobby. Leave her alone. Why do you need to argue with somebody you don't even I don't know. I
2: I really don't get it. And so um like It i just for some reason just train a thought that's okay
0: uh it you're it, talking about so, arguing with people on twitter and
2: right before that right before that where was i, I was oh. talking about my family yeah,
0: yeah. your family your brother who felt like um felt yeah like abandoned him
2: yeah and like just like between the oh yes okay i remember what i was gonna say um So the entire time that, like, I've been doing comedy, I've been doing film criticism, I've been doing podcasts, the whole time that I've been in New York, grad school, I've been dealing with my mom doing crack and my brother doing meth. And that has been, like, a continuous thing. So, like, when people, people, like, start shit with me, like, the first thing that I think is that, like, you have no idea what real problems are, and I wish you would stop. Talking to me, and every once in a while, I have to do it. I have to say that, and it's really annoying because, like, most of the people that I know that do the work that I do do not have these problems, and so yeah. it's very like it can be very jarring. Like, I don't think that, like, sometimes, like, there are people like actors follow me, they're like showrunners, they're like some musicians, like, well known people who follow me, and they'll see me do they'll see me like mention this shit, they'll just be like, Fuck. and it's like, I don't. Like, if I could have my way, I wouldn't have to, like, bring this up every couple months when someone just wants to be a fucking weirdo. But it, it, but it's not because, like, I'm super, I'm not even just, like, super upset about it. It's just weird that, like, I have to keep on reiterating that I really do not have time for whatever... Whatever it is that people want to fight with me about Like I've never I don't think that I've ever had a worthwhile fight on Twitter I don't understand Why they keep happening And I don't understand why I have to keep on saying That like Leave me alone Yeah. Like the other day actually I had to tell these like film Twitter people to leave me alone And they were just like Oh well is it because You are upset that We do not like your content And I was just like And I was just sitting there just like, you understand that I do this for work and whether or not you like it has absolutely nothing to do with me. And you don't have to tell me whether you like it or not. You don't have to tell me if you love my work. You don't have to tell me if you hate my work. I am doing it because it is my work. And this idea that like, I care that like, I'm just sitting around being like, did somebody like this review that I wrote at three in the morning on no sleep? No, I don't care. (laughs) It's just, like,
0: I mean, Twitter is such a hellscape and everybody knows that, but like, and I'm fairly negative on Twitter too, but I feel like that's what it's for. Like, there are people who you should, like, there are powerful public influencers there are politicians on twitter there are insanely wealthy people who have too much power on twitter who you can yell at and hopefully make them feel a little bit bad and i think that that's kind of an okay thing to do like oh yeah totally picking a fight with just like a film critic it's just like do you not know that like there also are like really fucking horrible people on twitter who you can who can be like directing some of your ire at
2: no, but apparently it's just—it's just really horrible. that me
0: with an avatar
2: like of like Ted Cruz is
0: on Twitter, fucking yell at like him. It's-
2: it just no, I just don't it, it's just this idea I mean and I dealt with it kind of like at home where like when I was dealing with the shit and everybody was like oh well you're going to New York and I think that a lot of people's opinion about me is very similar to that where it's like oh well you're going to the Sundance Film Festival and you're performing at Union Hall so that means that you're really powerful and that you mm, can just no. like mm. deal with anything because you're like people treat me like I'm like a celebrity and that I should just it's like I'm not a celebrity if i was a celebrity (laughs) trust me i would not be tweeting that much like i'd just be like hey come to this show hey read this and then i would just be gone because i'd be a celebrity like what the fuck are you talking (laughs) like the first thing that like my comedian friends do when they have shit to do is deactivate their Twitter. It's just like, and yeah. then they reactivate, they say one thing and then they deactivate again. It's a beautiful, that's the life that I would like to live.
0: Well, hopefully <laughs> just... you'll get there one day.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's weird. Cause like, you know, I grew up with my mom and my brother and they both like got into drugs and then I didn't. And yeah. I, I don't know. I think a lot about that. Cause...
0: I mean, you do smoke marijuana, which is pretty bad.
2: <laughs> like I, I was this is, very, this is a
0: very, this is a pretty pro drug podcast, but uh, <laughs> do not do crack or meth. This, I will yeah. not, I am not endorsing those.
2: No, There's don't, a difference. really, really don't, really don't do it. It's not do good. Do not do that um but like it, I for a while I thought that I was going to develop a drinking problem but then I started doing these things where like and be like okay I'm gonna do three months and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna do it or I'm gonna do like six months and I'm not gonna do it and once I realized that I had that um self-control it was like yeah. I really don't have a problem and it's and it's weird like whenever I I just keep on going back to therapy. Whenever something happens, I just keep going back to therapy instead right. of like I mean
0: well, you've heard the um the study of the, the what was it, cocaine rats or heroin rats, where they gave rats like a little button they could push and it would give them some cocaine. I think it was cocaine. And there were certain rats that had uh, other rats they could hang out with and like they had like a little community, a little rat community. And those ones, they weren't as inclined to just, like, keep hitting the button over and over. But the ones that were, like, isolated by themselves and, like, didn't have the other things they needed, all they were doing was hitting that fucking Coke button. So, like, if you're... Most of the time, like, 99% of the time, if you have a problem with a substance, it's because there is some underlying need that is not getting met. And you have to address that. Otherwise, like, it doesn't matter if you're not doing the substance.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, my brother and my mom definitely, like, have something, and unfortunately, like, most of the family doesn't really put up with them for that reason, so even though, like, I don't really get along with either one of them, I have become the family member who is responsible for them,
1: Mm.
2: and so a lot of, like, what I, a lot of, like, when I'm not working, that's what that's like what I have to contend with that's what I have to work with and like ever since and ever since also my my mom uh set uh her house on fire like a couple like a like over a month ago or something that's that's why she's in jail she set Uh, the house on fire
0: you can't even burn Um, down your own house I thought this was America.
2: (laughs) you can't uh so she (laughs) so ever since then it's just like kind it's just like worse because I just I don't even because I'm in the midst of I don't no. even have any like <laughs> I don't even have any insight. I just it's just uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I really I really don't know. I don't even know how to talk about it. But yeah, I, I mean, a good thing that happened like within the last couple of years, and I like time just like doesn't really make sense to me right now. But um. I got back into therapy, I think, at, like, the latter half of... I No, I got back into therapy in 2019. Um, and I did... I got back into it because I did couples therapy with Kyle, my fiancé, which actually was really, like, useful. Mm-hmm. And then I got... Um, I got my... I got, like, a new therapist... And like new meds, so now I do. I'm on like SSRIs and like a mood stabilizer, which like I mean doesn't fix everything, but right. and I and I also do therapy. Um, I also do therapy uh, two times a week, which started because I was dealing with uh a bullying campaign against me like about like two bullying campaigns one that was just online and then one that was like my actual friends were like bullying me and it was just like is this is this high school like it was just weird um so yeah that so that kind of led me back to therapy and that's why I do it two times a week because I was just like, I was just like a wreck. Cause I was just like, I have all this stuff to deal with at home, back home. And I have to deal with my work and I have to deal with these, with these people who think that like, it makes sense
0: to like bully me when you could just
2: not do that. I just feel like yeah, it's very no, I easy think to have, not do plenty, that.
0: I think you have plenty on your plate. I think you have plenty to bring to your therapist.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I do, I do two times a week with her and and her name is Lauren and man Lauren has had my back like I would not I would not have made it through last year without Lauren I would not be making it through this without Lauren I and she also she's she's a she's a psychiatrist so she's my therapist and she prescribes my meds so I don't have to talk to anybody else that's
0: yeah, great fucking one stop shopping about,
2: Yeah I yeah. yeah and I also um just did a DBT Cla- I just took a DBT class. It it ended. Um,
0: I wanted to end- talk to you about DBT. Yeah. Um, it, it is a little after three, but uh, if you have another couple minutes, um, I want. Oh yeah, no, I still have time. Um, I just started that not too long ago. Because um, I mean, my deal is ADHD, but uh, the thing that. Uh, I'm discovering is that a lot of traits of ADHD overlap with uh, BPD borderline personality disorder so far as emotional dysregulation and uh, big emotions uh, uh, anger things like that uh, which is what DBT is designed for and and, and like self-harm things like that that um, you know I wouldn't say that I'm fully like a, a BPD person but I do have a lot of those traits. And so getting into DBT has been like a new thing in the last couple of months that I'm, I'm really excited about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's been good. Like I did it. I done a course in it. (laughs) Um, My fiance also did a course in it. Like it's been like a great thing about like last year is that like my fiance started taking his mental health as seriously as I take mine. Mm. So, you know, um, he actually did a stay. He did like a ten day stay in like a mental institution. Just he just that's just what he needed to do. And when he got out, like was he they like 51-50'd set him one
0: fifty, or was that like a um, like you can't leave kind of thing? Uh,
2: it was like I I mean I I don't think it was that. I mean they they said that they would hold him for like two weeks at most. So it was just like, just to make sure that he was okay, that he wouldn't harm himself, that he can go home and that he can, that they can give him the tools to kind of like deal with his depression. And he was also um, diagnosed with BPD while he was there which was like really helpful. So when he got out, they like set him up with a new therapist, new medication and they got him into a DBT class. And so like, then I was like, you know what? This sounds good. And I took a DBT class. um and yeah it's just it's been really nice to like be with someone who wants to do that work because most of the people in my life like throughout my life have not wanted to do the work and they've usually wanted to blame me for the fact that they don't do the work uh so it's it's been good for us to be doing it together and uh dbt is actually exactly what i need and i'm not really great at applying it because so much about dbt is like figuring out how to be gentle with yourself and i am not good at that at all because i mean i'm not used to people being gentle with me and a lot of like what i learned like in order to like get through school or get through work is just like being mean to myself like negative reinforcement so that i'll get things done And so and dbt you know is teaching me that i can't do that and it's and it's hard to accept because that's just how i've run so long like i just i've just always like been like okay i have all these there's all this stuff going on at home i'm just gonna work i'm just going to keep working i'm just gonna like ignore everything and just work and i'm very bad at like doing things that are not work like even when i'm doing like comedy that still work to me so like i'm just like i'm doing this work um (laughs) So DVT has, is like slowly trying to kind of like teach me how to be like a person and not just like um, a machine that just like has to like manage things all the time.
0: Not just, not just a productivity machine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and that's hard. I mean, especially just like growing up poor, just like there's never, I'm never like comfortable. Like I'm just... I'm just like constantly just like, okay, what are the, what are the 5 million things that I need to do? Or like, I'll like buy something and I'll just be like, okay, how many reviews do I need to write to make up for this purchase or something like that? So it's like, it's, Yeah, like it's weird because like my like Kyle will call me a workaholic, and it's like I'm just poor. Like there's a difference between like being obsessed with working and being obsessed with working because you think that you're going to die. And like even though I know that that's not going to happen, my brain will always like I would to go back to that. It's like oh no, you could die if you don't do whatever this is. You could die. Uh, I would love for there to be like more talk and more understanding about like. What being working class actually does to your brain
0: yeah <laughs> it's a it's a big issue, and it's one of those things like it's such a bummer to me that um i mean I'm a big believer obviously in therapy, but I also see that it is very uh class based um that you know the way uh anything medical medicine related in this country is doled out is extremely inequitable, obviously. Uh, and that even, even in, I don't know, a, a broader swath of like, okay, so say we get to a point as a country where people, you know, across the board are able to go to a doctor to get like uh penicillin or like a cast for their broken leg. I still feel like it will be a long time before therapy becomes a working class thing that's normalized in in working class communities, and that's unfortunate because, I mean, well, I mean, everybody fucking everybody's a person, and everybody needs help with those issues from time to time. Um, yeah, and and so like you know, I don't know. It, it's it's hard because, I mean.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. and like, and I don't, I feel like, and I've been trying to explain this, like, uh, to people, like my family and people in the South, like, New York. Is one of the best places to live if you need mental health care because it's one of the few cities that actually really fucking takes it seriously. Like I'm on Medicaid, so it's funny because like I'll tell my I'll tell my family like Oh, you know, you need to go to therapy." And it's just like, "Well, we're not just like a big fancy New Yorker." And I was like, "No, I'm on Medicaid. I get all of my yeah. therapy and my meds through Medicaid, and it's income based, which means that I pay almost nothing because I make almost nothing." And so like the the quality of but the quality of care is the same the only i mean the only thing about medicaid is that like in terms of like i don't know like a lot of the doctors are like overworked and stuff it's definitely not perfect in the sense that like if you're if you're from a certain if you have a certain make a certain amount of money make below a certain amount of money like A lot of people get sent to all the same doctors, and that can overrun them, and that can mess yeah. it up. But it, like the fact that um, that I've been able to consistently get therapy, and get my meds, and it has cost me almost nothing is something that um, uh, I really wish that could be a thing in Georgia. And I mean, like as much as I don't really subscribe to, the, well, the red states are bad and the blue states no, are good, that. because there are plenty of good I'm people from a red in state Georgia. Too.
1: There are plenty plenty of good good people
2: in Georgia, and they don't... And it's like, they don't want to be treated this way either. (laughs) Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like they made these conditions. Um, Well, like, a good example is that, like, you know, when Kyle was going through stuff... He went to the mental health facility. They would not release him until he was okay. My mom has been in like three mental health facilities just this year. And they all let her out like within a couple days. None of them, they all like failed her. They would not hold her. And I, when I found out about it, I was just like, if she was in New York right now, they would not let her out. She would be in there for like a month. But they just kept on letting her out. And then she just ended up like in jail. And it is, it is, and it's those mental health facilities. They are directly responsible for her ending up in jail. And I don't believe in jail. I don't, I don't support jail. I don't support cops. I don't support prisons. And it was like she, and I get the feeling that she's going to get better care in jail than she got at those facilities. And I think that that's fucking nuts, man. Like one of them called me, and I and they asked me, "Oh, like like tell us some stuff about your mom." And one of the first things I said was, "Do not okay. release her. She has needed this for a long time. Do not release her." <laughs> and no one cared. They they just
0: yeah. released her. Just, yeah. I mean, this <laughs> like, is thing, I, yeah. This was a this was a Reagan era thing that got you know that that not a lot of people like that doesn't seem to get focused on in terms of what happened during that time and the dismantling of the mental health, uh, you know, infrastructure in this country, closing so many of the, um, uh, facilities and, and making it so like you can't commit people. Um, and now, so like now with the giant swaths of homeless people in, in so many cities it's like well yeah because they they don't have anywhere else to go like these are people with like serious mental conditions who, and they're, and, who and they're... aren't being taken care of they're not being like, there's nothing for them. And then, you know, like, all these fucking yuppies, like, get mad at them because it's like, well, this city's, like, overrun and shitty because there's people living in tents and shitting between parked cars. And it's like, where the fuck do you want them to go? Like, what do where? you want from them? Like, what what do it's, you expect? It, there is no other recourse. Like, what do you want them to do?
2: And, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like, my my brother was homeless in Atlanta for a while, and he was living in a tent. And it was just, like, I mean, it was there i mean i i mean i didn't it's not like i needed to learn oh homeless people or people but like like dealing like talking to him about his like everyday concerns while that was happening was like really really informative and he also spent time in jail and he told me what it was like in there for him and he told me that like jail it's whenever he gets arrested he gets clean and then when they release him he just goes back to meth and it's just like they they do something in there but they make they they do not make sure that it sticks you yeah. know
0: <laughs> yeah well so- i mean it's just like cuz then you're back out and you are also you know, a felon. You also have a record. You have to report that to employees or employers. And like, so like, you're not going to get a fucking job. They're not training you to get back on your feet and to have any type of coping skills to help you stay away from the things that got you there in the first place. They're not trying to reform you. They're not They're 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 just trying to like take you off the street for a while so you don't bother people. And, And then when your time is up. Because they would fucking hold you indefinitely if they could, but they they you know like they there, there are term limits, sentencing mm-hmm. limits, yeah. you know for for things, and so like they they let people go, and then they just start over again. I don't know; it's just like a fucking mess. And so like when I talk about mental health, I mean, you know, when I was making this podcast, part of me was tempted to kind of stay away from uh, politics and class stuff, but I realized that it's not possible to talk about one's mental health without talking about class and without talking about the policies that are being placed by powerful people who will never meet that are affecting our lives materially. Like your material situation is your mental health. Like I'm a big fan of, uh, Larry David. I, I I love Larry David. I love Kirby Enthusiasm. It's one of my favorite shows. But there is this, one of the things that I notice is, and I know that it's fictional and everything and it's, it's, you know, it's supposed to be ridiculous. But the thing that I, like one of my takeaways from the show is that everything seems so like kind of low stakes, even though it's. Like it's it's like these big bad situations that he gets into because at the end of the day he's still rich and fine mm-hmm. and everything like he can he can burn things to the ground anytime he wants because he does he has nothing to worry about. You know, and and, but like if you are living paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth, then you really have this whole house of cards thing happening where you're like, if this thing goes wrong, then this will crumble, this will crumble, this will crumble. And like it can all just come cascading down and walk around with that fucking stress like.
2: Okay. So I had a full fucking freak out just to make things maybe a little bit lighter. I had a full fucking freak out last year because I bought a rowing machine that was like $250. And I was so upset. Like I was just like, I had spent six months staring at this rowing machine feeling like I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And I got the rowing machine and I fucking loved it. But it was also like, Made of like cheaper material because like a really good rowing machine is like a thousand dollars and I knew that and I couldn't afford that. Um, so it so it broke and like I had a full breakdown because it was just like I had taken this chance to buy this thing that I really that like I you know with money that I could have like put towards rent or bills or something and it was like and I had to psych myself up to just get it to just feel like I, I deserve this. I should right. have this. And then it breaks and then it just makes, and then it just, the whole thing just like made me feel you're like
0: too strong for that fucking rowing machine. You just <laughs> snap it in half the first time you use it.
2: <laughs> and it's just, it, and the whole thing just like had me feeling like, and people don't think about like, especially not like uh, in terms of like mental health. And so people don't think about like what it is like, even just buying something is stressful for a working class person and if it breaks it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you that you can't like i if anything breaks i freak out in a way that like my fiance doesn't because he grew up like more you know privileged so like he's always just like i don't understand why you're freaking out of this like because i just did this whole like thing and like yeah and it just didn't
0: I had a full meltdown because I spilled a drink on this computer that I am talking to you on right now, um, like, um, two months ago. And I... Because, like, I had just gotten the thing. And I'd been working on this laptop that I had gotten... No joke, it was a 2011 laptop. It was It was old as shit. It could barely run Chrome. Like, it was just a dying machine. And I finally willed myself to just like you know what fuck it you are getting this thing like it's you you know you've done your taxes just buy this computer you're gonna be so much happier and then like a week and a half later I spilled a drink on it and was just like oh god and like it it was fine it's obviously fine I'm talking to you on it right now but like the freak out that I had about like potentially destroying this laptop that i'd just gotten even if it would be fine like if i'd have to take it into apple or whatever i was like that's more fucking money that's more fucking time like and it just it just was this like spiral this like existential spiral that was all over just like this stupid machine that you know a, a wealthier person would be like well fuck it i'll get a new one i already have two you know like it's just it's not even a thing to them you have to worry about exactly. it
2: exactly 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 yeah like there's there's like one of those in the one of these tweets popped up like they do they pop up all the time where a guy was just like you really think that 500 thousand dollars could solve all of your problems and i was just sitting there just like who are these people who think that they're doing a gotcha when they tweet that it's like, yeah, it would like $500,000. I couldn't just like fix like a bunch of my, like a bunch of stress that I carry. Like I could, I could alleviate stress for my family. It could alleviate stress yeah. for my loved ones. It's this is weird idea, that like pay
0: off your student loans.
2: People think that like so many people think that money is like not that important in the sense that like if you have it it's just like it doesn't matter like they don't think about like materially what it does and what it provides and in terms of like i've never had a safety net which is part of the reason why i work all the time and i'm stressed out all the time because i can't stop like i can take a break i can take a vacation but i can't Stop in a way that like someone who actually does have a safety net could just stop they could just like spend a year staying with their parents and just like fucking chill or like like or just like even like stay in their apartment and just like still have enough money to pay rent while not doing anything and i don't and I don't say that it's in like that's bad. Like it's like I wish more people could not do things, yeah. like the <laughs> we're, like some the working class is just like constantly doing shit all the time. Like just thinking about like what could have what could be accomplished if we weren't. And I think about it a lot in terms of entertainment specifically because like I know that I'm a good writer and I know that I can write good TV shows, write good films and stuff like that. And a lot of people, and I'm not jealous about people who have the jobs that I don't because I don't know their circumstances either but I always think about all of the time that I could spend like imagining things and like 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 getting to know my characters like what if i had like a bulletin board with like little things like if i had time to just like do all of that like little shit that like makes movies and makes television and like show bibles like 50 page show bibles of just like what every character is what gonna do what every season like people like people who do these jobs have time to do all that and i don't and so like it's been really stressful for me just thinking about like how i feel i'm how i'm 28 but i still feel late because i know that there are other people in their 20s that like didn't have to worry about any of the things that i did all day they could just sit on their computer all day and just fucking right and then go out and like party and and like wake up and do it all over again and people don't understand like how different your brain is when you don't have those worries you know
0: Yeah. um, I mean, a thing I I was going to ask you about was, you know, what it's like being, I mean, a a working class person who you work in like kind of two fields that are, uh, yeah, a little uh, on the bougie end, you know, like comedy and like uh, film criticism, academia like that. We did talk about that a little bit, like most of the people in those fields, um, you know, there's there's exceptions, um, but a lot of people in those fields are um, are very they have not had to worry about money. You know, they have not had to worry about just like straight up material concerns, paying rent, you know, paying for doctor bills, paying student loans, things like that. Um, And so, you know, it it is kind of this weird area where like it feels like, you know, people criticize the arts for being this sort of frivolous thing, you know, that's only for like hoity toity like rich liberals and stuff and there's some truth to that but the the thing is that everybody needs and deserves the arts and it is such a powerful and empowering thing for for people you know regardless of their class um so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on I don't know that
1: mm Mm
2: -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i i think about this i think about this a lot like i i mean i also think that like part of that is what caused kind of like the resentment when I was getting ready to go to NYU, because there was this idea that like I was just going to go and just become a bougie person just by virtue of doing a screenwriting program. And like, and I mean, obviously like that didn't happen, but I also think people are just like, Oh, you just do this. And I have tried to explain many, many times that like me getting into like, the arts saved my life and it so even if like it doesn't have the it doesn't have the stability that i need and i desperately need stability but i also know that like if i had stability without being able to do these things that i love i would be miserable and i just feel like i've spent a lot of my life being miserable and so why would i punish myself further because someone just like, assumes that my work is bougie, you know? It's just like, people don't, like, I, for me, it's like, life or death. If I don't get to do these things that I want to do, then there's, it just makes me feel like there's, like, no point to anything that I've had to endure. There's no point of, like, getting out of bad situations if I'm not gonna use, use my freedom to do what the fuck I
0: want. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, I always I always bristle at at the idea that the arts are you know non-essential that they're they're frivolous because I just I have never seen it that way you know it's it doesn't necessarily put food in people's mouths but it is a thing that makes us human it's a thing that we all need as people and it's not a thing that should be um I, I I guess uh allocated to just the upper class everybody needs it um so Jordan Searles Jordane Searles sorry it's Jordane right thank,
1: yeah Jordane
0: thanks. Jordane Searles uh mm-hmm. thank you so much for for coming on the show it's been really cool talking to you um if people want to find you and your work uh you know and anything you'd like to plug uh let us know
2: yeah I mean you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Judy Squirrels um yeah, <laughs> and uh, I have a show on Netflix uh, Netflix Films YouTube channel called Black Film School that I do with my friends Kevin and Sarah Ty, and we we talk about black film and it's really fun. And the more people that watch it, the more likely we are able to ask Netflix to give us more money to do more episodes. So oh, yeah. that would be really good. I I like. I like doing video work i hope to move on to tv like real tv work like the main netflix not just their youtube yeah. channel um and uh you can listen to bad romance podcasts that i do with bronwyn isaac who is wonderful and great uh and you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. and if you um and you know you'll find like clips of my work. I I share links to my work all the time on my social media. So yeah, that's how you can find me.
0: Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a really great talk. And this is, I mean, just a, I think a huge testament to, um, you know, the, the, the power that, um, that working on one's mental health and, and working through, uh, the field of the arts can, can really have. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you once again to Jordane Searles for being on the show. Thank you for listening to the show. I know it's, it, we're not talking to you right now, unless this is you, J- Jordane Searles, listening to your own interview, which you can do, you're totally allowed to do. I never know if people listen back to their own episodes. I, um, some people say they do, some people I never hear from them again um so I don't know uh but if you did and if you are listening you were the person we were talking about this whole time that's cool alright uh follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bradical Pearson follow this show at uh self-worst on Instagram get updates there about the show and uh that's about it uh music is by Shea Bartel and uh Patreon.com slash self-worst. Once again, I'm going to say it. Uh, tell a friend. Rate and review. iTunes. All of that stuff. You, I mean, uh, listen. I think you are probably a pre- pretty seasoned podcast listener. If you listen to this, you probably got other podcasts in your rotation. And you, you know the drill. I don't want to talk down to you. You're a grown-up. You got a job and shit. You know what you're doing. All right. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you.